Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Let's get our Bibles tonight. We're going to get right into the Word of the Lord tonight. Our topic this evening is how to study the Bible, how to study the Bible. I want to do my best to dig what is truth out of the Scripture and rightly to interpret the Scripture. And uh, as this Scripture says, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, Paul told Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Say that with me. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 is another passage that you may be familiar with. It says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of God. I will also forget thy children. What a sad but a disturbing passage that ought to grab our attention. I want to know. Everybody say, I want to know. I want to know. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, today for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for our time of studying the word and time, Lord God, of reaching in the word. We pray that you would help us today. Lord, that this would be a blessing both here in the here, but also those online as well. Bless it, dear God, to your glory in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Lord bless you. You can be seated. Everything you and I believe today, every blazing light of truth has got to be founded in the Word of God. We need to know the truth relating to God, relating to His kingdom, relating to us, why we're here, where we are going, what our future looks like. These are answered in the pages of Scripture. Paradise is revealed. Paradise is gone. Paradise is restored. Heaven is revealed, but also hell is exposed. This is some uh, things that we need to know about Scripture. <clears throat> I believe today that the Word of God is a powerful tool for us as we've been hearing this last uh, month or so about Scripture and the value of Scripture. The Bible says that our age, you can look it up Hebrews 11 and 3 sometime, but our age, our world is what it says in Hebrews 11 and 3, but it means our age and our time is framed by the Word of God. <clears throat> no matter what season you live in, no matter what era you live in, no matter whether you are in a bad time or a good time, you can believe that the Word has got you covered. Got you covered. The Word of God is creative and reproducing because God said, let there be, and there was, and it was good. Amen. The creation of Genesis 1. The Word of God is also progressive. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word proceeding means progressing. It is continuing to grow. 
I've been blessed and honored and I'm thankful the Lord uh, called me into the ministry and and since a young young teenager when he called me in the ministry, but I find the word so rich and real these many years later. Fresh, fresh every day, every day. Revelation comes by the word of the Lord. The Bible said that the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We find it was the word of the Lord that brought resurrection to dry, dead bones. Amen. It's the word of the Lord that is so impacting and effective and life-changing. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Somebody say the word is powerful. The word of the Lord is always significant. It is always up to date. It is always relative. Isaiah put it like this. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Fashions will come and go. His word will stand. Fashions will come and go. Styles will come and go. Governments will come and go, but his word will stand. Hollywood's going to come and go. But his word's going to stand. His word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, when you consider the Bible, let's just take a moment and digest the, the broad spectrum of this great book. The Bible contains 66 books. They are broken down into two sections or two testaments. We call them the Old Testament and the New Testament. 39 are in the Old Testament and 27 are in the New Testament. Each of the books except five are divided into chapters and verses. The five which aren't divided by chapters are Obadiah, Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. Because of their shortness of the book, they only have basically one chapter. The chapters, all the chapters in the entire Bible count up to 1,189. We find that there are 31,173 verses in the Bible. 773,692 words in the Bible. Now, when you think of that in the great scope of things, I don't know about you, but if I see a book about that thick, I usually run from it. I'm just not into, I mean, I, I, uh, it's got to be great, got to be powerful, but this one is. And when you look at it, it looks daunting, doesn't it? It looks daunting. I mean, if I hope you're doing great in your reading, but you get you can get bogged down in Leviticus pretty quickly. You can get bogged down in Numbers pretty quickly. And then he rehearses everything in Deuteronomy. And and <laughs> let's not talk about Job, man. Praise the Lord, he put it in there to help all of us depressed people. So where does one start when it comes to studying the Word? It's so vast. It's so big. I want to talk to you about two things you got to have before you ever study the Word to get to the right place. The first one is cultivate hunger. Cultivate hunger. How hungry am I for the Word? What does my soul crave? Or does my appetite from the flesh take first priority? Or do I crave... 
Amen. As the scripture talks about the body of Jesus Christ. I had a whole section that I just cut out of my text because my words were too long. And so I had a whole section. I'm going to, I flipped over and actually made another file for a message down the road. But Jesus said, except you eat me. And it made everybody mad. Those that were about to crown him as king ran away because they didn't understand what he told his disciples that I'm talking about spiritual bread. I'm talking about spiritually. Amen. First uh, <clears throat> Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire, crave, have great affection for, or long for, as newborn babes desire, the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. All right, mamas, does your babies let you know when they're hungry? I remember in our evangelizing days after Whitney was born, we had a fifth wheel and we had our bedroom up at the top and her little uh, baby bed was in the back. So there was about 30 feet that separated us in our big house there. And uh, I, I can listen. I can hear her start working it up. <laughs> and it would start real little. And then all of a sudden, it's a full-blown outcry. And you know, oh, okay, it's time to feed her. It's time to take care of that. That's the kind of desire we need about the word of the Lord, hunger for it. Uh, let, me, let me put it in the way the psalmist did in Psalm 119 and 33. Teach me, O Lord the way of thy statues, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me. Do you see the passion here? Teach me. Give me. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart under thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eye from beholding vanity and, and quicken thou me in thy way. Listen to this. Establish thy word. Establish thy word in thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my approach which I fear for the judgments for thy judgments are good. Behold I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Do you see the passion of the psalmist here? Teach me, give me, uh, uh, make me, incline my heart. Turn mine eyes away. Establish me. And I have longed for thy precepts. Uh, talked about Job just a little while ago. <clears throat> Job was in his trial and he made a profound statement. Job 23 and 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of thy lips, I esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now that's somebody that is excited and hungry for the word of God. His world's turned upside down. He's lost a bunch of stuff. And this is what he says. I'll give everything for the word. I'll give everything for the word. I want the word to be a part of my necessary food. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 5 and 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Your hunger for Jesus, your hunger for the word, will de determine the depth of your study. Hungry. I want to know more. I want to know more. 
I want to know more. So the first thing we approach study with is cultivate hunger. The second thing is check your hearing. <clears throat> check your hearing. Amos 8 and 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I want you to leave that up. Just look at, look at that closely. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sin. God said, I'm going to send a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. What had happened is that God sent Amos as a prophetic voice for Israel, and they rejected the prophecy of Amos, so God withdrew his revelation. They rejected the words of Amos, so God withdrew their ability to have his word revealed. Oh, it's not that they didn't necessarily have the word or they couldn't hear it read. It was not revealed to them. How horrible would it be to live in a place where you wanted to hear from God and you couldn't hear from God? The Bible said that Saul was in such a place that he wanted to hear from the Lord. He sought after the Lord and the Lord was silent. Silent. I think it's important that we check our hunger and our hearing. Amen. Look at what, what this famine led them to in Amos 8 and then the next verse 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Amen. The word hearing here means to listen and obey. Listen and obey. A famine of hearing the word of the Lord. It's not just that I'm not able to, I'm deaf, but rather I can't listen and obey. It's to hear with attention. It's to listen and, and yield to. How many of you looked at your kids and said, you're not listening to me? It's not that they're not hearing you. It's not computing from this ear to that ear. It's just kind of go straight through. You will find this, this, this theme universal to the seven churches of Revelation. For he says to them, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the church. Well, you've got an ear, but are you hearing? Amen. This is where we come to the revelation or the realization of Hosea 4 and 6. For my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. Two ingredients that are vital when you begin to study the word of the Lord, and that is hunger and hearing. Speak, Lord, I'll obey. Show me in your word, and I'll follow you. I never want to lose the revelation of the Holy Spirit speaking to me about what his word says. I don't want that because then I become a person that, that the Bible speaks about ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of truth. I think this is why there are some people you think, well, they're so smart. They're so filled with great intellect. Yeah, they have even a hunger for the word, but they are not hearing what the Spirit is saying. The word of God is anointed to speak revelation, not just words to us, but revelation in 
the text. The revelation is in the text. Paul understood this, and this is what he said. Philippians 3 and 8, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency or the excelling knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I want to tell you, that's hunger, but that's also hearing. That's hunger and that's hearing. Paul passionately pursued his knowledge of Christ. That has got to be the intent when we begin to study Scripture. All right, I want to talk to you about the authority and the application of Scripture. The authority and the application of Scripture. Our text on this segment is from 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17, we've, we've, we've used this verse a lot, but it ought to be sunk in our spirit. All Scripture, can you say it with me? Let's do it together. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Next verse. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's not just talking about a preacher. That's talking about everyone. Mankind, man and woman, can be furnished unto good works. All Scripture, as we have heard over the last few weeks, this, this all Scripture is in, given by inspiration. God breathed them. God breathed them. The Word of the Lord is your pipeline for faith Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. The Bible says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. The psalmist declared that his word was right. He is also my healer, for he sent his word and healed them. The acid test of every question related to your spiritual life, it should be this. What does the Bible say about it? That might sound simplistic and even unrealistic, but I believe that every answer in the natural has an, or every question in the natural has an answer in the spiritual. Let's talk about four applications of Scripture. Four applications of Scripture. We know the authority is that God spoke, and that's, that's good enough for me. It's what he said. Let's talk about doctrine. Number one application is doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul ch charged a young preacher that he was training and equipping for ministry. He said, I charge thee there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Proclaim the word. Tell the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Somebody say doctrine. For the time will come they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Somebody say, We're seeing that today. We're seeing that today. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine refers to both the content of what is being taught and how it is being taught. It's the teaching 
and the contact. It speaks of not just what is being said, but the act of teaching as well. We are to use the word of the Lord to teach, instruct, and direct us into his unchangeable truths, or we would say doctrine. Don't let the word doctrine blow your mind because it's really just a word that talks about teaching, good teaching, wholesome teaching from the word of God, okay? So the word of God is inspired for good doctrine, good teaching, good living, amen. Sound doctrine produces godly wisdom in our life, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. Let's pick up the, 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 another point in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to walk through this just a little bit. Verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you know devils got doctrines? It just means devils got teachings. But they're wrong. They're false. They're lies. But it's the teaching of devils. Devils will talk to you. Devils will lie straight at you. He'll tell you something that's not related to the word of God and get you off track on your faith. Amen. So how do I, I I've got to combat that with what the word says. What does the word teach? What is the doctrine of scripture? Look at verse 6, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remem- if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. Notice this, whereunto thou hast attained. That means you got a word of faith and you got good doctrine, but you didn't stop in that. You begin to follow on by continuing to investigate very carefully. Still continue to dig. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how long that you've read the Bible and how good we know the scripture. There's still going to be more in there that we're going to dig out that will still blow our mind and still find great revelation of God. And that's simply, that's we want to attain unto that good doctrine. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance, be alert, be careful for, be considerate of. Till I come, give attendance to reading, he says to the young preacher, to exhortation and to doctrine. Then he said in verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. Amen. When we learn good teaching and we learn good doctrine, we need to keep a hold of it and continue to study in that uh, teaching so that we can learn what else God has for us. I want to say this very clearly. You may think that we have got it all, but to even think that is ridiculous considering our God put so much in here in his word. Our God is the creator of heaven and earth that spans the universe before time began. He still is not governed by time. He steps in time, out of time. Amen. That blows people's mind, but I, I serve that kind of God. Amen. Learn good doctrine and stay at it. So the Bible is good to study for doctrine. Secondly, it's good to study for reproof. Reproof. 
Reproof reveals the standards of the king, his word. The Greek word here means bringing to light. It describes the process of action which brings something to light. It speaks of being scrutinized or examined carefully or exposing or setting forth. What reproof really is, is conviction. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and you felt something? I was reading today about, about uh, Korah and his rebellious group, okay? And God used in an interesting way to separate rebellion worship from real worship. Korah, you bring your incense and your censers, and Aaron, you bring your incense and your censer, and we'll see which one God will anoint. Amen. I, I just think that we need to make sure we back up a little bit and realize there's a whole lot in this book I have yet to learn. There's a whole lot in this book you have let yet to learn because there's a God that is omnipotent, omnipresent. Uh, 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 there is a God who knows my mind, who knows my thoughts, and he loves me, and he has mercy for me. I can't comprehend that, but I'm going to believe it. I've got to believe it. Somebody say, i got to believe him. But the Bible is for conviction. Psalm 119 and verse 11 and 12. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Why? The word brings reproof, correction, or proof, conviction. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The word detects and exposes false in our life. The word comes along and it turns the searchlight of heaven. We can run from it, but it doesn't change the fact. Reproof is like the umpire that cries out or safe. Reproof tells you what sin is. It is the doctrine that shows up when God wants to get into our life and to bring change. Okay, let's look at the third application, correction. The scripture is good for correction. The inspired word will correct you. Uh, God's word corrects false theories, restores proper direction, corrects errors, and puts the believer and the church in the right path. Mr. Vincent's word study states that correction here means restoring to an upright state or setting upright. Correction restores those that have fallen into false doctrine. Stand you back up by the word of the Lord. I believe that, but it was wrong. Why? I read in the word that that was wrong. I read in the word that it was wrong. It, it begins to restore us back to, to, to correct standing when false notions have come our way. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11 states, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. It's going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. Well, first of all, don't tell your kids that. They don't believe it. But if you love your children, you will correct them. Don't correct them, and that girl will wind up being a diva, or that boy will wind up being a no good nothing. 
I'm not talking about anybody here, okay? No, no nobody here. Yeah, yeah. Correction sets you up. Stand you upright. Uh, don't touch that. It's hot. Watch those kids. They'll do that because it's in our nature. All right? Don't touch it. It's hot. And then we have to, they fall over because they've touched something hot and they fall over and then we go over here and we correct them. Standing them back up. See, I told you so. No, we're not. <laughs> but the scripture is about standing us upright. Webster's Dictionary from 1828. I went back to that because I like this definition. Set of correction. It is the act of bringing back from error or deviation into conformity with a just standard. The act of bringing back from error or deviation into conformity with a just standard. In secular Greek literature, it was used, this word was used of setting upright an object that had fallen down and helping a person back to his feet who had stumbled. It also referred to repairing a broken arm, thus making it straight again. After God's word exposes and reveals to us false doctrine, it convicts us, then it will set us back upright. Okay, doctrine comes along and teaches us the things that we need to know. Reproof comes along and, and brings about uh, 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 that, that, that you need to get this right in your life. Correction comes along and, and it helps us get back up to our feet. And then the fourth application is, is how you live after that. He said instruction in righteousness. It refers to discipline, discipleship, training. The word here is, or the phrase instruction of righteousness is a Greek phrase that means that's related to child training, carrying out both firmness and gentleness as needed in each particular place. This speaks of any training that molds and perfects character in an individual, training that cultivates, training that brings us into the presence of the Lord. D.L. Moody once said, the scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. Our, the scriptures were not given for our information, but our transformation. Uh, scripture is profitable for doctrine, for teaching. Somebody say, what is right? It is profitable for reproof. What is not right? Teaching what is right. Reproof what is not right. And for correction, how to get right. And for training in righteousness, how to stay right. So teaching is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to get right. And training in righteousness is how to stay right. That's where the word comes in so handily, so important to us. All right, let's talk about handling the word of the Lord accurately. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Today, the church world excels in worship. We excel in good programs and excellence in structure, excellence in systems, excellence in government. We're sometimes good, 
at following the Holy Spirit. Yet I believe today the, rev the revival that is needed in this generation is studying and knowing the Word of God because that is the focal point of hell's attack today is let's go back, let's, let's push back when it comes to the Word of the Lord. Why do you have so many people that are just falling away from God deciding, hey, I'm just going to sw switch now. Uh, what I used to preach, I'm, a, I'm, not, uh, I'm gone, you know. I used to preach that the only way to get married was there's only one way. Now you can have whatever many. I happened to be watching a program just the other day, about a year ago now. I guess it is just the other day, how dependent. But it's a program that was, I thought, man, it's real hard to find a good program, y'all. I've, I've, every now, almost every one of them has something that is illicit in it. And, but this particular one was glorifying three-way partnership and saying, we need to get married. Y'all, when we open the door in our society, there's no telling what else comes in. That's not in my notes. I'll back away, get off my hobby horse, and get back to my notes. Somebody say, that's all right, Pastor. We still love you. So we study. Seducers and deceivers, Paul said, we're going to multiply in the last days. We're seeing that. Truth is being uh, so uh, cast down and trampled uh, underneath feet. And so we need to study scriptures so that we can give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in us. So let's talk about a few things here to study accurately. Number one, have the right attitude. Study. Let's look at that word study. We're going to dissect this passage here just a little bit. The word study is an interesting word. It is the Greek word spudazo, which, which means something of endeavoring to do diligence, to be diligent, to give diligence, to be forward, to labor, to work. Strong says that it means to make haste to exert oneself. This word conveys the idea of hastening to do something with the implication that it is associated with intense energy. So when it comes to studying with the word of the Lord, there ought to be something in us that says, I'm passionate about this. I'm not only passionate about it, I'm passionate about it today. I'm going to be passionate about it tomorrow. I'm going to study today and I'm going to study tomorrow. This is not just for preachers. It's not just for uh, uh, somebody that's on church staff. It's not for just some, it's for everybody. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I've got to be zealous about digging into it. Uh, uh, Precept Austin website says of this word that it is uh, in the, uh, uh, the sense that commands to do it now. The verb sense that is about doing doing it now. Don't delay. Do it efficiently. Do it passionately. Persistence. Amen. Go after it. Well, I don't understand. How, you know, how many of you, when you read the King James Version, you feel like you got four marbles in your mouth? When you start talking about these and thous and, and all of that, you know what? You can still dig it out. You can still dig it out. You can still find the answer. Have a passion. Have a passion for study. We often have, oftentimes have a passion for preaching. 
We want to hear good preaching. We want it to be set us on fire, preacher. We want to hear that rearing, roaring, and I love it too, don't you? Spitting and sputtering, preaching. Oh, praise God for that. I do love it. But I don't want to miss the depth of getting into the word of the Lord and finding out what his word means for us today. So the first thing we do is have the right attitude, and that is go after it. Study. Study. Number two is present yourself. The Bible here says, Paul writing to young Timothy says, study to show thyself, to present yourself. The word here literally means to stand beside or near to present yourself. We study to place ourselves at God's disposal. Here's what I know. If you will study, there will come a day that you're going to need what you studied. Some people think that scripture means open your mouth and I'll fill it. Is that God's just going to tell me what to say and I'm going to be able to quote the Bible like uh, Dr. Johnny James. I'm going to be able to come along here and I'm going to, yeah. That's not what that means. We study to offer ourselves to God. We don't study to see how smart we are. We don't study to debate. We don't study to preach. Amen. We don't study to impress others. Let me tell all preachers here in this house, my concept is study the word and the message will come. Study the word and the message will come. I've heard people say, I don't study to preach. Well, no, not necessarily. I want to tell you what, though, you better study. Then the preach will come. The preach will come. Theologian Steve Cole points out about this particular statement about uh, uh, presenting ourselves. It is used of a bride being presented to her bridegroom. It is a very personal, loving act when a young woman gives herself to a young man in marriage. In that culture, he said it meant that she was giving herself completely to him, giving her devotion, giving her time, giving her love. Her complete focus was now toward her husband because of his love for her and her love for him. That's how we should do when we come to the Bible is that we study because we love him and we want to stand here and say, Lord, here I am and I take all of you. I want all of you. So study to show yourself. Number three, approved unto God. Study for purpose. Study for purpose. Approved unto God. Approved unto God. We study to please God, not to impress men. We study God's word because it's God's word, not because we want to win an argument, but we want to have his stamp of approval on our study. Lord, I thank you. I realize not everybody is going to go and dig things out like Brother Dylan. I realize that. Not all of us are going to be on the same level as Bishop. Somebody get a amen on that? But you can take who you are, with what you have and get something from the word of God. If all you do is read and pray, you are hearing and you are hungry. Be hungry and hear. Amen. But what we're saying is that when we study, we present ourselves to God and then he approves us. We present in our study and I'm going to tell you some of my best prayer time is sitting in front of my computer studying and God speaking to me. Amen. Tears flowing down my face. Hallelujah. I thank the Lord today that if we'll learn to present ourselves, then he will approve our study. 
Here I am, Lord. I am no, I am no Bishop Walls. I am no Pastor Dylan. I am, I'm just me. Okay, you get what I'm saying? I will say this to every one of the preachers that, that God has called, God holds us more accountable for what we study and what we teach than anyone else. Well, that's another lesson. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Dr. Barnhouse said that this Greek term goes back to the ancient world when there was no banking system as we know it today, no paper money. All money was made from metal, heated until liquid, poured into molds, and allowed to cool. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the even edges. The coins were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them even more closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practice of shaving down the coins then in circulation. But some money changers were men. Uh, but some money changers were men of integrity who would accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor who put only genuine, full-weighted money into circulation. So what they would come and do is they would lay that and make sure that it was approved. We prove it. Okay, it's it's not shaved too far. Amen. Look at number four. We're coming through this verse of Scripture. The reward of study. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Study is worth working for. A workman who has the right attitude, the right motive, the right purpose, presenting himself before the Lord, approved of God, has no reason to be ashamed. There is something that we can all learn to say. Say this with me. I... Don't know. There's no shame. And I don't know. But I'll keep on studying till I get an answer. Amen. A workman that needed not be ashamed. Proper study habits will help ensure that the student doesn't disgrace himself or the gospel. As one man said, I, am not, I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel nor ashamed to the gospel. The student can minister in such a way as not to be afraid. Well, I don't know it all. I don't have all that. You know, talk to my pastor. Well, why he push them off on me? Right? How long you been in church? Uh-huh. I, I felt the, I about climbed on another hobby horse, so I better back off and get to my notes. I got a long ways to go tonight. So we need to be very careful to understand there's a reward. I don't have to be ashamed. Even if I don't know it all, I've done what I can do. I've done what I can do. Amen. Look at number five. The ultimate result of study is rightly dividing the word of truth. Truth is priceless. We need to handle it with care. And when he's talking about rightly dividing the word here, it literally means cut straight. Cut straight. Metaphorically, it was used of a father cutting and distributing pieces of bread to his children cutting and distributing pieces of bread to his children. Amen. 
It's, it's not enough to just know the truth. We need to know how to cut it and make sure the line is straight. The image of rightly dividing the, the, the word here is the image of, of laying out a road. The teacher is laying out a clearly marked pathway for others to walk. And the effort, it requires study. If we're going to rightly divide. How many of you heard some things that just, I, I said this the other day. I think you were out of, out of the country, Bishop. But I told the story about the, the lady that called in uh, to Light for Living and said, where's that scripture that says the Lord will build a house out of the boards that come out of your belly, something like that. You remember that? It's amazing how people quote things and misquote things. But if you rightly divide the word, you can get into the truth. Rightly divide the word and get into the truth. All right, I want to talk to you about developing a good study system. Developing a good study system. How do you do that? Find what works for you. Not everybody learns by reading. Real well, some will learn more visually. Some will learn through other methods, but fine. For me, it's repetition again and again, going back again, going back again. Constantly fine-tune the way you study. Let me give you three hints to, to develop your study process. I believe these are three that are important for you and for me. Number one, Set an atmosphere that is conducive to learning. If that cat climbs all over you while you're studying, put it in the cage. If that kid does it, find out how to deal with it. Not a cage. A different time, a different way. We often hear about John Wesley's mother. I think they had nine 11 kids, something like that, and she would pull her apron up over her face and the kids knew, don't bother her. That's her, her time with the Lord. Set an atmosphere. I, I, I got good, good preacher buddies that go to Starbucks to study their sermon and it works for them. It ain't working for me. All right? I'll sometimes put music on and that's fine, but I want me... Mm. I got to focus. I got to focus. So whatever it takes to set an atmosphere that is conducive to learning. Number two, get prepared for your study. Are your books close by? Is your study aids close by? Do you have you a drink? Because I guarantee you one thing you will see is that when you start studying the scripture, the devil will come and say, you need this. You need to go do that. You need to run off and do that. But if you can be very prepared, have what you need at your fingertips. Have what you need at your fingertips. Be prepared. Set an atmosphere. Number two, be prepared. Number three is be organized. Be organized in your study. Turn off all your phone notifications. Better yet, just turn your phone off. Turn off your uh, you know, things that are, grab at your attention. And, and if it's not just for 10, 15 minutes that you're going to focus on entirely looking at the Scripture and shutting everything out, do it. Do it. All right? So what are the three uh, hints here? Set an atmosphere. Be prepared. Be organized. Be prepared. Be organized. I want to talk to you about some terms that uh, are related to study. I'm going to slow down just a little bit here because this is more just some t technical stuff that hopefully will help you. Put up uh, number one, please, Number slide number one. 
I want to talk to you about reading with literary context, how to read scripture in context. There's several different ways. Uh, You could talk about reading it in the cultural context, learn. There are great books out there. There's a lot of a lot of junk on the internet, so I recommend finding a good book uh, on manners and customs and go with that. That You can find the culture of how things were, reading historically. But I want to talk to you about reading a literary context. You begin with the center here. You've got a text you want to read, okay? Well, let's look at that text. What? Read then the surrounding text. How does it connect to the surrounding text, okay? And if you want this, if you'd like to have this graphic, uh, you get with me after church, and I'll just send it to your phone or whatever. But you have the, the text that you begin with, then make sure to read it within the context of the verses around it. Studying the Scripture is not like going to Golden Corral where you can pick and choose something and make a meal out of that. Oh, that's a doctrine. No. You have to read the surrounding text, then read it in context with the surrounding chapters, and we'll get into more uh, uh, dividing of that a little bit later. Read the whole book. Read it in, in the context of the entire Bible. So this is just a, a way to read it in a, a literary context. <clears throat> I find it very interesting that uh, the Bible speaks about that when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with the disciples, he had already resurrected and they were all downhearted because they thought that he had lost when he had won. Doesn't that sound like us? Oh, Lord, you left me. It didn't work out like I thought. But he walked with them, and they didn't know who he was. And the Bible says in Luke 24 and 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The word expounded here means he explained. He interpreted Fully. That's what the Greek word means. He interpreted fully. He used, this is the, an interesting word. It's two words put together. Dia, which means uh, through or intensive. Dia and hermeneutu, which means to interpret. I doubt, I, I imagine I butchered that. But it's where we get the English word hermeneutics. Okay. He expounded. He used study methods that were structured, good study methods to expound the scriptures to them. (laughs) Later on, after he left, you know what those same disciples said? Jesus opened up, opened up to us the scriptures. That that, that means he explained it to us, and we went, oh, I get it. When you have good study hermeneutics, that's the science of scripture, Amen. It'll help you tremendously. Go go to slide number two, please. Oh, you're fine. I I threw this last minute on Sister Shelley, and she's done a great job. Let's talk about some terms. The first one is apologetics. You've heard that mentioned throughout the the course of uh, our Bible teaching and our guests, Brother Carol, that come along and also do the same thing about apologetics. Here's what you need to know about apologetics. It is offering a reasoned defense of the faith. 
And I'm going to add, with the right attitude, the King James says, with meekness and fear. It is offering a reason, logical explanation for the hope that is in you. That is known as apologetics. The next word, I mentioned the word hermeneutics, is the process, the rules, and science of interpreting the meaning of Scripture. It is the science of studying Scripture. Hermeneutics is a big word, but it just literally means like a scientist that goes in and does a test on something that they have a particular questions they need to ask before they'll come to the right conclusion. Okay? Before they come to the right conclusion. Sound hermeneutics or sound science will help the scripture stay in context when you are studying. All right? And let's look at some important questions that hermeneutics ask. Uh, the next one. Everybody say who. This is what hermeneutics does. It asks the question, who? Who did God anoint to write this passage? Who did God anoint to write this passage? Who was this written to? Okay? Who, did it, who is he talking to? This is what I mean by the literary reading context. You've got to read around a little bit of where, where you start to begin to say, okay, who is he talking to? If you do not have, most, a lot of King James versions do not have the headings, but find you one that do, that breaks up the scripture in, in, in their headings, you know, that can tell you what it's talking about. A good study Bible will do this for you. If you need to know about good study Bibles, go see Sister Grace. She can help you. Uh, she works at a Bible store. We've got an in, an inroad right there. Okay. Who did God anoint to write the passage? Who was this written to? Who was it written about? Who were the author's contemporaries? It brings a revelation when you begin to see, and we're going to put up a slide here after a while, when you begin to see that there's a lot of times you look at Scripture and you think, oh, Genesis to Revelation, and then we go through it, but that's not the chronological order that God put in his word. It's interesting to know who was writing and, and living out their life at the same time, where they were and what they were a part of. Okay, the next one, please. I'm going to say what. Uh, let's see. Oh. Yeah, that's the right one. What is happening in the text? What is the text really saying? What was the author's original intended meaning? And I'm talking about going back to the inspired word of God. What did God intend for that to mean. Okay? These things that you put into place with good study habits along with the power of the Holy Ghost will, hope, will open up Scripture to you. It'll begin to show you things that mm -mm, just reading around the passages will open up things for you. Okay? And then what is the genre or style that it was written in? There are, there are hundreds of poetic uh, verses in the Bible, hundreds of them, that are written like songs, hymns, and things of that nature. All right? Go to the next slide, continuing with what, what do the words mean? If you want to know a good way to uh, study the meaning of the word, 
You can, you can buy a, a Strong's Concordance or get an app on your phone. I will tell you a really good free app for your iPad or your phone or your compu- computer. It is, whew, I was going to tell you, uh, the sword. What is, it? What is that? E-sword. E-sword. Thank you, David. Get E-sword. It is free. It is one of the best study aids that will help you as you move forward in, in your study. And you can find out what the Greek words are in that particular verse that you are studying. Praise the Lord. So we're, we're asking the question, what? What does the word mean? What is the significance of the order of the words? It's very interesting when you begin to study and say, okay, he put it in this way. And, and, it, and it, it makes it come alive. What is the context of the word? What is the cultural and historical context as well? All right? So asking the questions, who, what, how, those kind of great things. Let's go to the next one, and that is number six, slide number six, when. When. When did this happen? Or when will it happen? When was it fulfilled or when will it be fulfilled a lot of people without reading things in context will make prophecies about them but it was our promises about them that is really not meant for them it is written for something in particular the the jews or is written for uh, some other so you got to read it in context that's when the next one is why why did he say it that way why did they do it that way? Why? Why is it? In case you don't know it, the culture of the Bible is a little different than the culture of today. They acted differently. They looked differently. Their foods were different. I remember, I've made this statement before, but I remember uh, preaching from that message or the, from the place that John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. You know, I'm thinking big old bug. Matter of fact, my dad tells the story of a missionary he knew that went to Africa and grabbed a big, said the locust was as big as his hand. And he, he was teaching uh, some, some of the uh, folks there from Africa. And he was saying, how'd you like to survive on this? And one girl that was in class reached up and grabbed it and swallowed it. They love it over there. But that's not what that means. When I went to Israel, I found out locusts is a fruit, and they still eat it today with honey. All right? Uh, Let's go to how. How does this harmonize with other texts? And then how does this apply to me? Keep in mind that all Scripture is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and no amount of hermeneutics, no amount of science, can bypass the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the hearing part connecting to your hungry part. The hearing part to the hungry. All right, let's look at some more terms that you might hear in your study. This is an interesting word, exegesis. Exegesis. I'm not talking about a rapper. Exegesis. It means to import or rather, an attempt to discover the meaning of the text 
objectively. Exegesis, an attempt to discover the meaning of the text objectively. That means I'm starting with the text and I'm expanding from there to find out what is the interpretation. I apply good science. I apply good hermeneutics. And then I can begin to find out what the interpretation is by looking at Scripture. And you see it clearly when you look at the next word. It's eisegesis, which is the opposite of exegesis. And eisegesis means to import a subjective opinionated, if I may add, preconceived meaning into the text. The interpretation of the Bible by reading into one's own idea. Be careful your starting point in study. I have had them in my office and I've talked to them. Uh, one in particular said, I set out to prove X, Y, Z. And he sure did. Well, why not set out to prove what the Bible says? Whether it's my X, Y, Z or not. Okay? There's a danger between... Uh, not following good exegesis, which is the result of good science of study. And then we have the word that this is the interpretation. Interpretation. Okay? Interpretation answers the question, what is the intent of the author? What did God mean by this? Why did he put that in the Bible? I want to tell you something that really revolutionized my concept of reading the Old Testament. Is in the New Testament... I believe it was Paul that said that the law is spiritual. So if I read it with the spiritual understanding that God has hidden some truth, some things that I need to know, if you read the book of Leviticus on its face, it can become confusing. But read it like this. The intent of God through Leviticus was to show that he wants his people to be holy. He brought that over into the New Testament and he said, for all these years the Jews could not do it because they did it in the flesh. But my law is spiritual. And so I'm going to apply the law of the Spirit. I'm about to shout and run the aisle right now. I'm going to apply the law of the Spirit to Moses' law so you can do the intent. We now can live the intent of the law, what God intended his people to do by the Holy Spirit knowing what the, uh, the, the author intended is the interpretation. Then there is application. Somebody say application. There can only be one interpretation for a verse of Scripture. Peter wrote that there's no, no Scriptures privately interpreted. Amen. There can only be one interpretation of Scripture, but there can be many applications for Scripture. Application means how is God applying that in my life? How does he want to personalize this text for me? There are certain texts that will be absolutely for you and for me. They're meant for us. They're meant for the church. They're meant for the sons and daughters of God. But there are ways to look at things and say, I want to take how that applies to me. I want to take how it applies to me. Amen. So that I can look at the application. And then uh, I, I do want to say this. Be careful that we don't, Confuse application of the text for interpretation of the text. And, and I want to tell you one thing that I love about being a, a pastor that has grown up with the word. You folks know the word. You know it very carefully. Uh, long, 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 long time ago, 
we had a guest here preach a message that preached uh, in the form of a type. He was typing something to show a, a, a how God works. And, 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 and y'all were rocking with the preacher, but I don't even think you knew it, but I saw it, and it blessed me a long, long time ago. Long, long time ago, okay? But this particular preacher started out typifying something in the scripture as one thing and halfway through his message he flipped the script and he started preaching that in a totally different type I was watching because I saw you just all of a sudden it was just like a wet blanket went over you and I went yeah 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 just let it go it's okay but yeah praise God be wise on your applications and, and, and don't, don't take too much uh, freedom in that. All right, let's go to the next slide. Some more terms here is inerrancy, inerrancy, inerrancy. This is the belief that the Bible is without error in what God intended to communicate through the writers. Can I tell you, I, I realize we got to be careful about some translations, and some translations are nothing but junk. Junk, absolute junk. They leave out the blood. They leave out the message of redemption. They leave out the, uh, the, the sanctity that God had set forth in, in many different ways. But no matter how many bad interpretations there are, his intent is going to come through. He's done it for thousands of years, and so the scriptures have inerrancy. Then the next thing is what we talked about, the inspiration of the Word of God. It means that canon scripture, what has been set aside, and if you have not, you can go back and see our, our message on uh, how we got the Bible to talk more about canon scripture. Uh, canon scripture is produced by divine inspiration as well. That human writers were moved on by the Holy Spirit and that they are the final authority for the kingdom. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. I'm going to wrap this up with five Beatitudes for good study. All right? Go ahead and put those up, and that will give you a chance to write them down as I talk. I want to go through them with you. Five Beatitudes for good study. Number one, be sensitive. Never forget we are handling the divine inspired word of God. Be sensitive. It's God's voice, it's God's book, it's God's truth. Be sensitive and reverent toward the word of God. I think we ought to be extremely careful how we handle this book. There's nothing wrong with having ragged ears and torn pages that has come through the years of study and reading. That, that's what you do to a good tool. You go through it. and But when it comes to throwing it around and, and just letting dust pile upon it. We need to be sensitive how we handle the book. Number two, be humble. Who has the final authority after all? It's the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. We study scripture, so we need to come with it at a humble attitude, a humble attitude, a holy God, a holy king, the king of the universe. I'm studying his word. This isn't Pastor Gill's word. It's not Bishop Wall's word. It's not Medor Pentecostal Church word. This is his word. His word. Be humble. Amen. Guard against becoming arrogant and study. I know it. I'll quote it. I'll tell you. I'll put you in your place. You've already 
already broken the whole uh, thought of good apologetics. All right? Number two is be humble. Number three, be accurate. Rightly divide the word is what we, we, we talked about, but it requires being accurate in capturing the original meaning, the interpretation, and also how it impacts me through application. Do I just study to prove that I'm right and they're wrong? That's closed-minded. That's a closed-minded approach to Scripture and ultimately winds up in false doctrines. Scripture is studied through knowing truth revealed by the Holy Spirit. I think it's important when it comes to Scripture to avoid avoid your pet, your pet project all the time. Not that you shouldn't go down there. If you're a worship studier and that's your thing, great. Let me just talk to preachers right now. It's real easy for us to get in a vein. Be willing to go dig somewhere else. Be willing to go dig somewhere else. If we're not careful, we'd be studying only the passages that we feel comfortable with. Only the places that meet our doctrinal understanding. Amen. Always going back to the same thing. Well, let's branch out. Let's branch out. Be accurate. Number four, be relevant. Being relevant means that we have two observations. Knowing the setting of scripture, knowing where they are, knowing the geography of the text, knowing the customs of the text that we've already talked about. We need to know that the scripture is relevant, not just to then, but to the day. It is relevant. Number five, be practical. Ask yourself, how can I practically apply what I've studied to my life? What is the effect that God wants to talk to me? What is God trying to say to me through this? It's like reading the story of Korah and seeing that there was something God wanted to speak to me in that. Jesus said in John 15 and 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Amen. We find in Revelation 19.11, this is why we need the word today. Revelation 19.11, And I saw the heaven open, John said, And behold, a white horse... And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. <clears throat> and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, a white and clean. And listen to this out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. What is the sharp sword? The word of God. His name is the word of God and coming out of his mouth is the word of God. And he in the last days, this scripture is referring to the last days. When our king comes back, he's coming back as the word. He came the first time as the word and he was made flesh as the word. But the next time he's coming back, he's coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. That's what it says in verse 16. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. Later on in that chapter, you will find the beast and the false prophet and those that had received the mark of the beast worshiped, worshiped this image are defeated and destroyed by the sharp sword. All right, I'm going to wind up with this. And again... 
If I can help you in any way, you want some of these graphics, let me know. We'll get them to you. Uh, let's go to number 12, sister. I don't know how, how well this come out, but I want to talk about how the books are divided by, by their theme or their genre, okay? By their genre. Old Testament, there's five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's 12 books of history from Joshua all the way down through Nehemiah. 12 books of history. What was it, Bishop, you said that somebody said that the Bible's not a historical book? Oh, okay. I was just wondering. Poetry, five books of poetry from Job to the Song of Solomon's. Major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. Why are they known as major prophets? Because their projects, their writings were uh, much larger than the others, like the minor prophets from Hosea down to Malachi. Okay, that'll give you an understanding of the Old Testament. New Testament, you'll find that they have the history of the life of Jesus known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the history of the church is in the book of Acts. Everything else has to do with the church, but you'll look at Paul's letters to churches, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. These are written to churches. And then there was letters written to others, to the Hebrews and to James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, the John, the epistles of John, Jude and Revelation, and then Paul's letters to individuals, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. This is just simply a breakdown of how the Bible works with its genre, okay, working together. I'm going to ask you all just to leave that up after we close tonight. Just leave that up for a little while if you want to uh, do some copy and take some pictures of it or something. That, if you'd like to have it, I'm going to tell you where you can get it. This is uh, from creativebiblestudy.com, creativebiblestudy.com. They've got quite a few resources there uh, with graphics and things that, that can help you along in your study creativesources.com. Praise the Lord. Be careful. Not everything you read in books is the truth. Judge it by this. Every commentary, judge it by this. Every, every book that comes across the Christian printing presses, judge it by this. Amen? Does it, is it there? Is, it, is, is, is that what it meant? Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, this study thing is a journey, but it is a glorious journey when his revelation hits. Are you hungry? Are you hearing? Let's stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, today for your word. We thank you, Lord, today for your word. Help us to be good students. Help us to be good students. Lord, like, like the, the Hebrews, God, that take honey and put it to the lips of their students so that they will learn the scripture that your word is sweeter than honey. Your word is sweeter than honey. Oh, God, we thank you, Father, for your word today. We want to learn. We want to grow. Lord, you are so good to us. Bless us now, God, as we are moving forward in our study, our journey of studying the word. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.